Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Welcome to a super special bonus episode of the Hilaritas Podcast with me, your host, Mike Gathers. Hilaritas Press has released a new edition of one of Robert Anton Wilson's last books, SOG, The Thing That Ate the Constitution, with a new foreword by Bobby Campbell, an afterward by Steve Fly Pratt, and a lengthy essay by Michael Johnson on Wilson, Vico, language, and class warfare. In this bonus episode, I chat with Bobby Campbell on SOG and raw politics, including our discussion of a supplemental interview with raw on SOG that's available on YouTube. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. Bobby and I start our chat with a discussion on raw's political stance, which you can find in one of the first chapters of SOG the book. He published that on his website, like the original like Zog conspiracy theory thing. And there's not any more in the book about it. <laughs> like it's the the book is another one of those like compilation style books. Yeah. I like I I like I was like you know, I thought it was gonna be like more in detail about it, but it's it almost feels like a um like how Cosmic Trigger Three was was just like let's take everything I've written over the past two years and put it in a book. Um, and that's like sort of, I mean, I, he carries the thread throughout it, but it's not really like a coherent statement about a specific topic, more is just like, this is where I'm at, uh, at this time, uh, which, right. which is, you know, probably even better because it's, it's such a scattershot of ideas and stuff. So mm. it, 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 it doesn't, and, and which is probably like, if he's going to write a political book, which I guess he's saying this is his first political book in that interview, um, it would make sense that it's more scattershot than a clear like delineation <laughs> of an ideology, um, because that's how his political thinking was. It was um, like momentary, circumstantial, and pretty malleable um, to you know what was going on in his life and in the world. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting snapshot on him. You, you definitely get a different uh, version of him um, there than you kind of do anywhere else, I feel like. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe I would say maybe Cosmic Trigger 3 and this are, you would put that, like, you can tell the same guy wrote those two books. But I, mm. I don't know that you would say the same guy wrote any of the other books, you know, like it. Because you know how he talks about how he has these, like, the different versions of himself through time? And th those two books seem to be, like, a, a pretty uh, similar snapshot of him. Say more about that. I, I, You know what I think it is? I think it's the post-Arlen version of him. Ah. I, I, like, if I had to guess what the difference is, I think it's that. And it's also, but weirdly enough, different than the version of him from the maybe logic classes. The maybe logic version of him was more like old Taoist sage guy, like, you know, like, and that's my favorite version of him, the, the mm -hmm. version of him on the, those classes where he's like responding in like fortune cookie style, like right. Um, I love that. Oh man, I like, I would have read, like I, they should at some point collect everything he wrote for those classes and put it in a book because it is it's almost like uh sigismundo's journal from nature's god where yes. it's just you just go through and it's like boom 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 and it's it's like and it's so condensed like everything he's saying 
instead of saying it over 10 pages, he's saying it in three lines. Whereas I would say in Zog and in Cosmic Trigger 3, it's kind of the reverse. He's taking one mm. thought and expanding it across several pages. Whereas then when he gets a little bit older and maybe not quite so willing to sit at the keyboard so long, I think he's doing more thinking and less writing. Whereas I would say with this, he's doing, he's thinking out loud as he writes. Nice. I love the way you put that. I used to, uh, I have from the classes I took for the most part, I would uh, save all his comments. And in fact, I just posted the ones from Tale of the Tribe for the other thing we're trying to put together, which we should talk about that maybe before we go too much further. Oh yeah, but for sure. I would send those comments to uh, Michael Johnson just saying, uh, here's what's going on in the maybe logic classes. I don't know if you can parse what's going on because it's just Wilson's comments, but here they are. And and he would be like, you know, you don't really need you the don't. background to uh, to appreciate what he's writing there. And I would go it's back almost, and look. Yeah. I was going to say, it's almost better without it. It's almost better without the context in a weird way because it, right. it, 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 it comes across like Dao De Ching chapters. Right, right. It's just like you said, little, and that's kind of, um, to me, like little ideograms, you know, what he's trying to say and do there with this kind of uh, multidimensional hologramic um, dynamic uh, use of language. Even like in those classes, like his abbreviations for things become like these really like precise uh, articulations uh, of like, like how we say every word is a fossilized poem. The fact that mm. you can condense some of these words down to two letters instead of five. And he's just trying to get it down into as small a piece of uh, information as he can. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that, that that stuff is, is like, a diamond waiting to be, uh, you know, uh, carved out, I think. Right, right. I like that diamond perspective, too, because it's like, depending on how you look at it, it's got that multifaceted. Ah, I'm glad we talked about this. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, brings me fond reminiscence of, of the Maybe Logic Academy. I think, and, and it seems like a lot of his later books were like this, or maybe kind of sparse throughout, where there was like really more just uh, compilations of essays put together right. thematically. I assume that's what um, email. I haven't read email to the universe. I assume that's yeah. what that is as well, right? And it, and it, I guess coincidence is that too, but it's more thematically connected. I think it, it is, and I'm not sure where some of that material might have come from. Um, like natural law, not natural law. I get these confused. Uh, new Inquisition. New Inquisition is a lot of material that was published in New Libertarian magazine. And um, I think a lot of SOG was published in High Times in the early 90s. Oh, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. And, and I uh, will toot my own horn because I believe that Email to the Universe was largely taken from that raw fans website I was 
Oh yeah, uh, I, yeah, I I remember that. That was it was like you and Eric Wagner like grabbing everything uh, that was scattered across the internet, and once you put it all in one place, they realized there was a book there, right? Yeah. Well, I just uh, um, back on Usenet, Altfan. R. A. Wilson, um, Mike Johnson actually started that group back in like 97, 98. And that's about when I discovered Raw and I found that. And there was a German guy that created, uh, he called it a fuck a fact. How did that go? Frequently answered and frequently unanswered questions. And, uh, and then from there, Mike Johnson wrote a little bio and, and then we started linking in whatever we could find on the internet. And it was interviews and essays and he would just post it on Usenet every so often, like an update. And I was okay, like, yeah. I thought, man, this really needs a website. So, and then I found I had a Comcast account, which basically had like a cheesy little hosting opportunity. And I just basically took what he created and made it into pages. And I would literally take Word documents and then save them as HTML pages and upload them. Oh, that's yeah. I I used to do the same thing. Like I yeah. I, I kind of miss that version of the internet. I, I I'm actually like heading back that way for my own purposes. Like uh, just like hacking together HTML pages is right. so much more satisfying than a social media post. And like yeah, I, I think I think that's that that's the direction I'd like the future to go. Um, right. So that's so, the way that's the way I'm gonna go. Whether anyone else follows or is also out there, I don't know, but. Retro internet. I mean, I literally, I, there was a, a, a homepage, so sort of a menu, but there was no navigation. You had to hit the back arrow to get however you did it, because I never, I just was doing Word documents. But once I searched the internet for everything I found, I would start, I started combing eBay and just whatever these obscure magazines are. And then people would send me stuff and Wagner had a bunch of stuff and Mike Johnson had a bunch of stuff. And a few of those old guys like Brian Shields would help convert it from text to, to digital. Just sometimes that we'd type it, sometimes we'd try to scan it and convert it, but that was pretty primitive back then. And I would often post an, a new article and then within a couple of days, it would get sent around on his Usenet list, his little email list. So he knew what was going on and about half of those articles in Email of the Universe were unique to my website and the other half were just kind of stuff. But it was all stuff that was just out on the internet linked into the website. And then he had these haikus he, he sprinkled throughout it. Um, so yeah, that's my, my ego story as I like to think my website yeah, no, to that book. I, I remember uh, the old version of that website where you had all the, um, the book covers and I remember just like pouring over that. I love that stuff. I, and I, I yeah. dreamed of having my artwork on there one day. And the fact that oh. it actually happened, like I le legitimately was like, oh, if only, if only I could get there. Um, oh, funny. And then you yeah, did. Yeah. And then I now did. I, I have to, I still have those pages linked in, or at least two or three of them. I think I might have lost one. And, uh, but I, not, I have not been updating it. And the, the software I use to create that, I, who knows where that went but i yeah yeah now i'm motivated to update it so we'll have your art <laughs> that's, on great. There too. <laughs> that's awesome i remember you emailing me telling me you had like to look through all that and uh there was some yeah I, I i love how weird some of his book covers were there there is some wild stuff out there i like i actually I, I i i love the like current style even more but there's something about th that like the uh 
you know, independent bookshop, freaky looking books that, you know, you would just come across and like, what the hell is this? And, uh, <laughs> or some there, of the, there's something kind of fun about that. Yeah. And some of like the, uh, what were those uh, medieval Illuminati? Oh yeah. The, yeah. The, the historical the, chronicles. Yeah. Yeah. So the painted covers on those are great. They went through like a lot of different publishers and so there was just a, a lot of different covers for that series. And uh, those were really neat. I thought all of them are kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was back when like, you know, book covers were like more of a, like a, an art form where you would have someone do a full painting for a book cover, which is, it feels a little bit rare now. Now it's, now it's more of a graphic design thing right? and less of a like artwork kind of thing. That's I hadn't thought of this, but I've been on Twitter more and more with the podcast and everything, especially, and uh, ran into, uh, it's like 70s science fiction book covers. Oh, account. yeah, yeah. So it just, and it just, like you said, it's this elaborate art, um, you know, a lot of fantasy stuff and just really amazing stuff comes across my. I think you can tell there was more money in the stuff back then, like more money in book publishing, because then you could pay a cover artist to produce something that would take them a month to do. You could, you know what I mean? Yeah, like the, the right. money the, the the cover artist would make would cover him for a while. So you could actually go in and do something elaborate. Um, whereas now it's just like, go, 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 go. Not, not for everything, but in a lot of cases. Well, maybe let's just switch gears a little and see how we can ease into this. Um, sure. I don't know that it'll, even if I played it right now, it would work, but I wanted to play that uh, first bit of Sog where he does like the Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Oh yeah, I, I always loved that. That, that, that. Like that that really captured my imagination when I first heard it. And, and I think like, so when I listen to the interview, when you, when you hear that, I think it's more clear and the only place where it's clear that he's probably trying to satirize the Zionist conspiracy theory. I think that's the part where he's directly addressing those people and, and being like, that thing you think is dumb, this thing I'm going to tell you about is real. I think you should consider this instead. Like, mm. I, I think that's where, because where he's like, you think it only does harm to black people and immigrants oh. and, you know what I mean? Like he, but it, its hand is at your own throat. So like, I think he's like, I, and cause even in that interview, he really does lean into the um, like white people have fucked up the world and we shouldn't be surprised that we're being criticized for it. Like, and so I think he yeah. has this, like this thought process going on but I don't think he quite knows how to broach the subject directly. So instead of broaching it directly, I think he wanted to go this route because, and, and, you know, as I read through Zog, he doesn't at all mention that he's making a pun. Like he right. never says like, I'm satirizing this, or he doesn't even, you know, let you know that there, it, I, but I didn't know that it was a pun until someone brought it up and said, hey, not a great idea for a title. And I, and I, I was like, oh, wait, what, you know, I just, it was blissfully unaware that that was 
a prominent thing. Like I, I was, I like I knew the protocols of the elders of Zion and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't know uh, what the overarching term was. Um, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, sorry, Dad. No, no, I just I agree that I I don't quite I didn't quite get that this is something that might be considered taboo. Um, and I wonder how much of that. So we're kind of referring to that Twitter thread, which I think was 2019. So it's a few years old, but where they're kind of criticizing his taste for titling it Zog and how that refers to Zog, Z-O-G and the Zionist conspiracies. And I wonder, you know, that's always been a thing, but I don't know that it was, uh, I wonder if it would have been that offensive 20 years ago as it might be perceived today. Sure, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, well, because I think like, at least uh, this shows at least my own uh, naivety is that I think at the time it felt like organized hate movements were on the way out. It felt like that it wasn't going to persist with such a high profile. Mm, um, right. But, you know, like, like if you ask me in 2004, like, especially like back then, like, hate groups were cartoon supervillains that were used as punching bags for, you know, superheroes and the Blues Brothers to, you know, uh, drive by and splash with puddles, you know, like it wasn't this thing that felt like an act of concern, but that's also because they don't actively target me. So it would make sense that it wouldn't necessarily be on my radar without it being forced onto my radar. And so, so maybe that's like, part of it is like I didn't know what ZOG was because I really didn't have to know you right. know what I mean because it wasn't something that was gonna exactly. come out and push me so it, it's sort of like you know our nervous system is attuned to threats and if that isn't something that I know as a threat I'm not gonna pick up on it right exactly I, I mean, I have I had a friend that I, a close friend that was Jewish that um, he drove by his synagogue and there was somebody that looking suspicious and he he called it in and 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 this and that and I was really surprised at the, at the reaction and there was just this undercurrent of no this is still very much a thing and and I think it always has been uh, for for Jewish folks but that the rest of us might not have been as aware of it back then, but the undercurrent of this book seemed to be really this post 9-11 us versus the terrorists kind of thing. That's where the hate right. was, was directed is, is at the, the Middle Eastern terrorist types, not uh, other groups. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it did feel like that was the, like the main uh, press that you were pushing back against was Islamophobia. That was the one that was like, full-on active that was to be contended with. And I think that that maybe made everything else uh, less obvious because that was so obvious. Yeah, I, again, sometimes it's tough to tell like what's in the culture and what's just like your personal experience of it. What, what comes up for me though, is this kind of opens the door uh, to talk a little about a critical eye of Wilson or, or you know, the, the Twitter thread really 
opened up a lot of critiques on Raw, most of which I don't know that I, I can jive with, although some of them I could. There was this um, a lot of emphasis on how he was had a Randian phase and you know an Ayn Rand Ayn Rand phase, and then was in his writing offering catering to the far right and the Randian crowd. And um, I don't get that at all, to be honest. Well, I, I so I I don't know about the Randian thing because I I always like I my I didn't know who what objectivism or or who Ayn Rand was uh, before reading his take on them, and I got a very negative impression of them through him. So if if, if he was supporting them, I missed the point of that because i got like what i got from that is uh those people are bad news <laughs> that, like that's the impression i got i remember during the maybe logic classes like i really 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 did not want george w bush to win that re-election i thought it was gonna i thought it was like the fact that he got in on a scam and then turned right. out to be a bad oh. president and started a war i was like all right our bad we we, we let him in on accident but then i thought after the war if we re-elected him if we were like no all good with us keep on going i thought that that would be a really really bad look and so i really really did not want george w bush to win and i ate a lot of shit for that in the maybe logic classes from the both sides kind of perspective and um, and Rawl played the, the the both sides card on that because he had been burned by Clinton, I think. I think I think Clinton burned him. And so he wasn't really willing to uh, hop off the fence because he'd, be, he'd just been burned. Um, but then when I went to meet him, he was like, boy, I sure do hope John Kerry wins because he supports stem cell research. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, you can't say that in real life. Like, come on, man. Like, if that's what you think, say what you think. Don't don't hide what you think because people are going to get mad at you. Say what you think. And so I, I, I now I, you know I'm not really second guessing him, but that was my that was my response in the moment was like, come on, dude, you watch me eat shit for two months and you agree with me. <laughs> but that's an interest. I think that brings up this like public versus private persona. And yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and I think. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, his shtick, you know, was to uh, encourage you to think about, you know, what the excluded middle or whatever we want to call it. Right, and right. And so he's, because I used to, I think I was talking with Michael Johnson about this long ago, and, and I was just talking about his over-enthusiasm for, for the optimistic uh, futurism and, you know, all these wild ideas about life extension and space exploration and technology going to change the world. And it's like, well, you know, this was coming out of the Cold War. I think we were trying to promote a positive, optimistic mindset when a lot of people were in a negative space. And so it's not necessarily that he maybe believed in that stuff wholeheartedly, but he's trying to promote optimism. Yeah, no, I definitely think that it, to some extent, Robert Anton Wilson was a character played by Bob Wilson in some mm. cases. Say and more about I, and, that. I love that. Well, so I, th I think that Robert Anton Wilson was like a icon that he created that, like you say, was meant to sit in the excluded middle and pull from both sides. You ever seen that subgenius cartoon where the subgenius, where Bob Dobbs is pulling people both from the right and left 
uh, towards it. So you have, so yeah, so basically you have a leftist person screaming stuff and a right uh, wing person screaming stuff. And he's like trying to pull them together. And I Mm. think he kind of like sort of like, and he positions himself that way in several different cases where he's like, uh, the left is right about big business. The right is right about government. And so I, I think he definitely wanted to be this like non-Euclidean uh, figure that would pull in people from both sides. Um, and I think that's literally what the Guns and Dope Party is. I think that's <laughs> like literally him trying to create a, uh, or get like a, a a shared common ground that both sides could agree on. Though oddly was the first, so, you know, I originally when I was younger probably um, was too uncritical in my reading of Robert Anton Wilson. I, I probably depended on him too much for what to think about the world and, you know, the, the various things that were going on in it. And it was really, uh, so I, I remember I was updating my website and I put up a guns and dope party thing, went to bed and woke up to the Virginia Tech uh, shooting massacre. Ooh. And the the direct, like this is the last thing I saw, this is the first thing I saw. And I was like, wait, do I actually think that? Like, do I actually agree with that position and that framing? And, and I was like, wait, no, I, I think I don't. And not to say that it's wrong, like, and again, that, as previously established, I think he was strategically doing it to try to create division where, or create uh, unity where there was division. But I had to like really go, wait, no, I actually don't think that. Like I would, like, I live in New Jersey right now. You have pretty good gun laws and legal weed. So you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, if you want. So do I actually think that? No, I don't think I do. And so, and then that created this whole like, new uh area of usefulness for his work because now i i started to be like oh wait no do i think that and then i and and it's i it actually produced the result that he wanted which is to get me thinking for myself by questioning him and so it created just the result he was looking for by disagreeing with him which i thought was interesting that i was like no i actually don't agree with him and therefore i agree with him because ah, right right you're thinking on your own now I, right I yeah I... exactly yeah and so and, th- and that's why i reacted negatively to when when people seem to shut down on the criticism of him without it seemingly to take it seriously because i was like no this is an opportunity to parse some things out and not just say you know he's right because he admits that he could be wrong you actually some you got to dig into that a little bit further because that actually that attitude that uh robert anton wilson saying i might be wrong don't believe me actually made me believe him more when i was younger and and actually was a shield against criticism that i didn't really penetrate until coincidence kind of forced me to so i you know and again like the guns and dope party may turn out to be a brilliant unifying idea that is beyond my comprehension. But I also just have to be honest, like, do I actually want to wear that as a shirt? No, I don't. So I don't know. It, it, it's, it's actually interesting to uh, take him seriously when he suggests not to believe him. 
because you you know you you might uncover some unconsidered perspectives i like that a lot certainly the guns and dope thing i think was one of his most uh controversial things and i think a lot of his friends were like what what the hell are you doing here with this <laughs> so it's interesting that that's kind of what shocked you awake on maybe the the fallibility of robert anton wilson yeah and i and i don't it, it, again it's it's less a critique of the idea just my <laughs> my unquestioning support for it that that would that was the thing where i was like oh wait i'm messing up here like i i, I did not actually think this through before i would threw my support behind it i i just i just re-listened the cosmic trigger and and i was like man this is such a good story but like you know 40 years after the fact it it, it a lot of the things that are presented like especially with the alien stuff just didn't really, it, it feels like it wouldn't play now. If that book came out now, I don't know that it would hit the same audience. Right. But, but it was also, but it's all, but that's why it was, that's why it came out then and not now. Like it makes sense that that's what the world was, that's what the world was like. That's what people were talking about. And that's, you know, how they evaluated things. So, you know, I, so right. I don't, I don't want to, I can't fault them for it at well, all. I just, but it just hits me different is all. Well, it makes you wonder if if that's the way he experienced that whole bizarre event, because that's the way the culture was uh, experiencing bizarre events like that. And if he, he had that in 2022, would it be a completely different zeitgeist, so to speak, or paradigm? Yeah. That, that's like I because I had my own weird experiences. But when I had them, I was like, oh, this is my brain doing this. You know, like I didn't. I, I was like, when, you know, when you see, when I saw aliens, I was like, interesting. My nervous system is creating the impression of an alien. I wasn't like a visitor from beyond, you know, it was it's because all that groundwork had already been, right. been done previously. The ground had shifted underneath our feet. And so I was living in a different zeitgeist than he was. And, and I, I just uh, wrote this whole thing that was about like how common it was in the seventies for people to believe they had had um you know extra terrestrial visitations and for people to take them seriously like you know the whole heaven's gate cult weirdly enough like in that context isn't so strange like it's crazy that it survived to the 90s but when it's sitting amongst like you know timothy leary saying the same thing and john lilly saying the same thing and terence mckenna is saying the same thing and it's like you have all these like very successful people broadcasting these outlandish messages it all of a sudden doesn't become outlandish right because outlandish means no one agrees with you if you have right you know very uh, uh like you know stable signals broadcasting something then it's no longer impossible. It kind of normalizes the whole thing. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. And if you were in a uh, more Christian religious belief system, you might interpret those to be angels and that's that. And here we are. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, and I guess that's why you get the simulation thing now, because that's the new metaphor. Mm. The new metaphor is is more like a matrixy kind of mm. thing because we live in a uh, like our environment is now technology, 
And so now when you have a transcendental experience, it now takes on that flavor. So it, it's, it's uh, instead of being visited by aliens or angels or whatever, now you're seeing uh, through to a like code basis of reality because that's the current dominant metaphor. I like that one because I, I like this. I, you know, we always talk about this metaphor of waking up. And that's where I feel like just that uh, robotic habitual self is the mate living in the matrix. And that process oh, yeah. of For waking up is stepping out of the matrix into the real world, so to speak. Yeah, that's why the, that's why that movie worked because there was a part of it that was true. It was it's just the the metaphor wasn't literal, but we, we lived in we live in a matrix of uh, an exchange between our interpretations and an unknowable reality. Right. Yeah, I think so, that, that's the real yeah, Gnostic influence behind the matrix. Is that? Or, yeah, for sure. Very cool. Well, let's see if we move a little past our thing. It's the 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 uh, audio goes from the. Again, we have that like uh, Call of Cthulhu Lovecraftian introduction that that puts some levity on the whole thing, and then he's even got that. I want to say it's like a Mo Horowitz quote or, or what are you stupid or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really emphasizing, hey, this is a parody, folks. We're not. I, it, you had a good point earlier i think when you listen to that you realize like this is not something to be taken too seriously yeah for sure and then it moves right into a maybe logic uh, pitch i guess you could say description of maybe logic and i find that interesting he really just goes right into uh this kind of non-dual reality as a way to talk about what what essentially is a political essay i guess and so it makes you immediately think we're going to have to step out of the whole left-right binary thinking. Um, yeah, for sure. It, it, it's uh, I, I think the maybe logic thing has really uh, you know turned out to be a pretty uh, fortunate thing to have learned. You know when I learned it because you know like as consensus reality is kind of splintered in a lot of ways. I, th I think that the maybe state of mind has, has served me pretty well, um, especially in like interpersonal relationships. Like it's very easy to get along with people when you're in the maybe state, like, you know, like at work, people be fighting about stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, whatever you're saying seems like it could be right. Whatever they're saying seems like it could be right. And, you know, like I, it, I find that with that attitude, I uh, do not get brought into fights that I don't need to be in. Nice. And I, and and I will. I, now he doesn't he doesn't stress it in uh, either the book or uh, the interview. Um, but I've E prime when paired with maybe logic is really really useful. Whenever I whenever I'm going to disagree with someone on the internet. I write an E prime and it never escalates, it never mm. escalates. Well it, it, it just doesn't. It, 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 it is so useful. It prevents you from overstating your case, stepping over your, the line. It is so useful. And in fact, I think if I, I think he probably should have written this book in E prime. 
Um, I think that might have helped a little bit. Um, not that I mean it's fine just the way it is, but I think if he was going to wade into politics, I think if he wrote Knee Prime like he did uh, Quantum Psychology, um, I, I it would have been uh, it would be interesting to see how that would turn out because it is he is one hundred percent right when he says that that helps with disagreement because yeah. it really really does even for yourself maybe more for yourself. Cause like, I, I, you know, sometimes you'll start like mad and uh, as soon, by the time I finish <laughs> writing out what I'm, what I have to say in E-Prime, I'm not mad anymore. I, I you know what, I, I feel like I've communicated my point of view and I've also calmed myself down because I've nice. taken out all of those, like the, the hot buttons have all kind of, uh, you know, been neutralized and, but I'm, you know, but it also, cause the downside of maybe logic is indecisiveness. Yes. That, that's, that's, that's the downside. That's the thing you got to watch out for. And so you're still, you're still, you know, saying what you got to say, but you're also like taking out the unnecessary venom um, with it. Like one thing I've noticed in myself, and I'm, I'm going to assume this is true of other people as well. I'm going to assume that this is universal, but it could just be me. I am a natural hypocrite. Like just, <laughs> That's everybody. That's you. Yeah, I, I assume so. I, I don't want to assume everyone out there, but I, I'm going to guess that all of us here are natural hypocrites. I uh, used to live in Philadelphia and I would ride my bike to the car share thing. There used to be a, a thing where you would like pay a certain amount per month and you could borrow a car. So I was riding my bike to the car and the whole time I'm like, these fucking cars, people have, they, they're just, they don't look, they don't, the cars are the problem. And then I would park my bike and I would get in the car and I'd be like, these fucking bicyclists. They don't <laughs> <laughs> and it was just one of those things where I had the, the thought like within about, you know, three minutes of each other. And I was like, oh, wait, no, it's, it's the system has forced us to coexist when there should be two, you know, you know, there should be a better system that, you know, that we don't have to just fight each other over the same area. And so, yeah, so I realized like, oh no, that very strongly held opinion I have certainly changed depending on whether I was in a bike or in a car. Right, that um, I spent on the subject of E-Prime, I 100% agree. I think back uh, when I was really active on that usenet alt.fan.ra Wilson, I spent a couple years or maybe over a year posting everything in E-Prime. All my comments were in E-Prime. And at first, it's amazing how much work you have to put into it to kind of find your way around. And then you start to find a few gimmicks that help you sort it out. Right. Se seems to me is a great way to replace is. And then that gets kind of repetitive and and lame, but um, I talk about that a lot as how powerful that was. Like it really changed my, it, it was psychedelic in a For way. For sure, yeah. And that I just uh, started to see how truly subjective everything is. And I'm like, I'm not talking about objective truth. I'm talking about my own perspective on what may be an objective truth. And uh, it's since I stopped doing that, the kind of that sense has faded a little bit, but it really, for the most part, is something I carry with me ever since then about how it's, it's neurological relativity. I think that's uh, kind of one of the things that 
Wilson talks about from uh, Ulysses is how that book kind of frames everybody having the same day from a different perspective. And so everybody's got their own neurological relativity. But there is also that pitfall early on in E prime where you start like peppering everything with uncertainties that uh, have nothing to do with E prime as a matter of fact. <laughs> it's like you get caught in this loop of, like you said, indecision or just like, I don't feel like I can speak with certainty on anything. And in fact, what I found is like, no, I can speak on certainty around my experience, but that's about it. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. There's, and there's that thing. Cause he talks about like, there's strong maybes and there's weak maybes. And sometimes mm. that's a hard uh, delineation to make. And, you know, cause, cause yeah, cause it is a problem when you uh, just kind of give up all uh, agency over your perceptions, but it's, and then it's equally a problem if you, uh, you know, kind of try to use your perceptions to dominate as well. Um, and, and then something I've seen um, a lot of people do is use the like reality tunnel thing as proof that they're right and other people are wrong and i think mm. that's another pitfall like like they'll they'll point out that that oh the reason you think that is because of your reality tunnel I, as if that you know doesn't also apply to you and i think that's that's a that's a tricky thing to watch out for too is as he said like it's easy to see it's easier to see other people's reality tunnels than this year uh, there, there's a couple pitfalls i see and that's a, that's a major one like i think of uh I think Wilson was a master of the third circuit, really. And I will kind of put belief systems as a term to describe the third circuit versus reality tunnels, which maybe describes the sum total of all the circuits. So when you talk about the third circuit, I think that there's something inherent in language to where it so permeates everything we do that it's like the trickster. We don't realize how binding it is. And then maybe we wake up a little bit to this, this trickster of language and we think, oh, we've got it figured out. But it's like there's a, an endless depth to explore. It's like shadow. You think you, you discover a little shadow and you, oh, I found my shadow. But it's like, no, there's like, that's like the tip of the iceberg. And you kind of have this, this delusion that you've woken up to everything and that, you know, my reality tunnel is now complete and yours is still not woke. Right, and, right. Uh, it just doesn't jive, you know, it's, it's, you, it's easy to lose that beginner mind skepticism, I think. Uh, you wake up a little bit, you gain some awareness and you think, oh, I've got it figured out, but it's really something you have to just keep applying and applying. And sometimes people feel like they've, got it figured out and does that make sense what i'm trying to oh, say yeah. there yeah for sure and it, it reminds me uh on, uh you know the trial logs uh the thing uh terence mckenna rupert Cheldrick, and ralph abraham would do i remember uh, there was one thing where ralph abraham go war, warns the audience that the way that terence says things makes things uh more convincing than they should be and that <laughs> And, you know, basically like, you know, uh, sometimes our own cleverness is uh, our own worst enemy because, uh, you know, it's perfectly attuned for tricking ourselves. And, you know, like you say, the, the third circuit 
uh, can be used to construct uh, very persuasive arguments that are only persuasive to you. And uh, so sometimes you got to watch out for your own handiwork uh, in the mix. Right, we're the master that makes the grass green and we're very creative about it. Yeah, right, yes. right. And <laughs> we, we have know, to be aware we, of our own cleverness. We know all of our own buttons uh, to press. Um, right, so, yeah. Un unconsciously. Maybe that's the other, the other trap I wanted to say with maybe, I don't know if it's a trap of maybe logic, but kind of along those same lines, we find these um, usually folks from the hard right that discover Robert Anton Wilson, maybe through the Illuminati thing, and uh, they don't quite seem to get the whole maybe logic thing. Um, and and they, they kind of cherry pick Robert Anton Wilson writing to justify their own hard right conspiratorial reality tunnel. And I think that was one of the critiques that came up in that Twitter thread is that uh, there's just a lot of far right people that latch on to some of these ideas, but don't quite get the whole model agnosticism, maybe logic thing. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. on Yeah, that. yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely seen quite a bit of that. Uh, Prometheus Rising seems to be the book that they're latching on to. Um, mm. and, and I, I don't know particularly why. Maybe that's like the most like all uh like all head no heart of the books like cosmic trigger has a lot of heart in it like you you're not going to walk out of cosmic trigger without having empathy and and i think that there uh, you know uh there's that whole thing about opening the head chakra before you open the heart chakra and i, th I think that there's a little bit of that going on i think that there's um yeah yeah that that and because i guess like if you, it's probably pretty appealing to get the, you know, reality tunnel, upper circuit, the power part of it. Because it's very like an empowering to the individual nervous system. And you can take that and run with it in a way where you're not acknowledging how it affects other people. And I think maybe that's part of it. I think, I think that there's a, a like a like the Nietzschean uh, Superman part of it, and that if you don't pair that with you know compassion and you know uh, some form of collectivism, that you're you know that you're going to go all for the head chakra and leave behind uh, the heart. And I, that's why I I think a little bit I think the eight circuit model I think circuit four is underdeveloped in the current versions of the model. I think that that's where, so Timothy Leary had kind of like the Buddha type of life where he was like, I gotta leave behind Tim Leary regular person and go off and be an icon because that's the only way these ideas are gonna get pushed forward. And I think he played that character so much that he maybe became that character and the fourth mm. circuit would probably be the part where you're making breakfast for your kids and washing the dishes and you know that sort of stuff that he probably felt that he couldn't actually do it's the uh, buddha leaving his family for mm. to chase after enlightenment and i think that 
So he probably couldn't have mapped out circuits five, six, seven, and eight without jumping from three to five uh, in some ways. And I think I think Raw, I, and I think the appeal of Raw is that he is a little bit more down to earth. I think that's that's why I like Raw because he's like the one, the only of the '60s psychonauts that seemed like uh, was also a like nice regular person. But but it, like even I've heard Christina say that like uh, Raw was a wonderful person, so so dad. And I think that maybe I, I think that there's a little bit of work to be done in the Fourth Circuit in in terms of of grounding our cosmic ambitions uh, into something that's also like compatible with everyday life. Wow, I love that. I'm having to soak all that in. <laughs> that yeah, I think of this Fourth Circuit as as our role in the village. And or many things actually, but that's one. Uh, I agree with that. Cap. And um, maybe Tim. I think Tim really enjoyed celebrity, mm -hmm. so he kind of that celebrity rock star philosopher thing really fit him. And maybe he felt that was his role in the village. But there's also that kind of like you said, chop wood, carry water part that maybe got left behind. And, and I don't know that it wasn't necessary for him. Like I, like I, it's not. I'm not saying he should have done anything. Like I think it makes sense that he w went the way he went. And um, and yeah, like I, yeah. So it, it's just I think at a certain point you got to circle back and because not everyone can do that. <laughs> you know, like not everyone can uh, be psychedelic rock stars. I, I, I don't think that works. <laughs> right. Well, that's I, you. You hinted at this, but I think there was a great deal of humility in Robert Anton Wilson that that brought him down to earth and made him approachable. And that I forget who it was, but various people would say, you know, I met all of these people, and Robert Anton Wilson was the one that was like the real deal. Um, there wasn't like a man behind the curtain, so to speak. It was just the the real humble, sweet grandpa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, so I, I think he's definitely the closest uh, to the heart uh, out, of, out of anyone oh, that I can right. imagine. That's where we're going. Um, heart so yeah, so, so right. right. I, I, and I, I would say like Prometheus Rising is probably the closest to just being a like all intellect, um, you know, development of the mind, you know, like it, it's, it's all, it, I don't know that it's all, I, I don't want to overstate it, but, but I think it makes sense that yeah. they can read that book and then, uh, you know, have no contradiction with their belief system and what's written there. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this for several years and, you know, it's, it, is it a, is it more, is it a problem or is it an opportunity or is it a little bit of both? And I, I'm I'm leaning towards uh, opportunity because I mean like with, and the reason why it's at like still so attractive to play around with Rawls' ideas is because they don't stay contained to your tribal bubble. When you talk about Robert Anton Wilson, you might actually get to reach out into the circles that you can't really reach normally and and vice versa so I, I think you actually get a little bit of a mediated discourse um 
you know, into a larger world than you would otherwise. And I, and I, I hope that that leads to something positive. Well, I think for me, his work has really helped me learn how to relate to almost anybody. I mean, if you look at Prometheus Rising, everybody says, do the exercises. And 75% and of those exercises are like, put yourself in this mindset and then put yourself in the opposite mindset. And uh, it allows me to, through that and just experience in life and, and relating to these people, being able to put myself in, in other people's mindsets and, and, oh, okay. But what I see right now is that we're so politically divided that um and it's becoming more and more polarized that it's really hard to be in the middle if you critique one side it's always been the case if you critique one side the binary thinking leads people to believe that you must obviously believe in the other side because you're critiquing a then you must believe b and that's always driven me nuts but it seems like even more extreme now it's where if you uh well, so-and-so's got a point, then that means you must be aligned with so-and-so and you're missing out on all this other stuff. Um, and that's real unfortunate, but... Yeah, uh, and I think that's a, that's a byproduct, I think, of... There's been... There's a, a, a tactic that people take that is like um, basically arguing in bad faith. And I mm. think at a certain point, you can't tell who's arguing in good or bad faith and that it just kind of devolves into everyone shouting slogans at each other. It, it, like, it, it almost feels like a, like old WWF wrestling and everyone's just kind of cutting promos and trying to <laughs> get heat from the crowd or pop from the crowd. And, uh, and, and that's not a criticism. I think it, it, like, I think we're all in the same boat. I think it's, it, you know, um, so I, I think the, the thing that's to be done is to find some sort of mediated discourse where people can actually say uh, like, okay, so I'll, I'll give you a, a medium hot button topic, which is student debt cancellation, right? So I am in favor of student debt cancellation because I think that it is a beneficial, um, like boost to the economy. And like, I know people younger than me that are paying, you know, like 1500 a month in, in student loans that then can't buy houses, that then can't have kids, that then can't this, 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 this. Now, I, it's very possible that there is a good counter argument to it, which is basically like, no, the student loans are nested together with other investments. And if you cancel them, then that falls, that falls, that falls. But we don't have that argument. We don't, we don't have the this is the this is the positive this is the negative we just have that's not fair or yes it is fair and so like if there was a way that you could actually have a good faith discussion with you know like cited sources and like no this is why you can't or no this is why you should and like we have all the technology and uh you know like human resources to do it but it just doesn't happen probably because the in a lot of well so let's say for example if uh the people that it would negatively affect are only very 
few people, but they're very influential and powerful, they benefit from not having a clear discussion. So they would probably rather just flood the zone with bullshit. Um, but I think if we could get to a point where, no, what actually is the problem with it without just saying that it's unfair, I think that maybe you'd make some progress because, you know, it, it, it's, there could be negative parts to it that I haven't considered, but I, that's not what's presented to me. What's presented to me is that it's not fair. Right. Yeah. There's no room for intelligent discussion. It's all very passion and emotions and coming from the, the two paradigms, either the right or the left, you know, the, the right would say that it's the free market and these people voluntarily took on this debt and that they need to be held responsible for that. And the left. Right. Right have completely different set of arguments about um, wage gaps and forgiveness and this and that. Right. So, so I, I think, I mean, um, as boring as it is, I think we just need more people involved on like a C-SPAN level of boring Ooh. detail. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's going to get boring. It's going to get, you know, it's going to get uh, in the weeds. And I think that that's just going to have to be how it goes if you want to make progress if we don't want to just have wrestlemania we're going to actually like have to go back to civics class <laughs> or we can just keep doing wrestlemania i don't know <laughs> painful um yeah no I, like i i mean i you know you go to school board meetings and you know you just get into trying to actually like wade into things with people is it's not appealing but it's i don't know i think it's maybe the the zone that's been abandoned that maybe needs to be uh re-examined but yeah, in a way I, that's maybe somehow more productive i agree with that i just don't know how that's gonna happen i i don't know i don't either it, it probably won't is is the thing and probably what's going to happen is that we're just going to keep reacting to emergencies. And maybe some of our, it, it, you know, if, if the best we can do is prepare for better responses to the emergencies that are going to keep happening, then maybe, you know, uh, you know, the bone will grow back stronger after it breaks. Um, or maybe, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a mixed bag, you know, some, some things will some things will improve, some things will get worse. And that's how things have always been is, you know, a, a very mixed bag. Um, yeah, it, I, I, it's, I don't have any sort of clear, you know, vision for the progression of the future. It, it, it feels very, I remember mm. I went to the, I went to the Amazon in 2004, right before, literally the week before the maybe logic classes started. And oh, I, wow. I, I did the ayahuasca thing and I had a big grand, you know, uh, vision of the future. And in around 2015, I realized that it had run out, that <laughs> that's about where the, the vision saw to, oh. you know what I mean? Like, like all, all of the insights had been exhausted by that point. Um, and, and I don't have a new one personally, I'm sure other people do. Um, but for me, it feels very like um, we're going to be led by events more than ideas um, for, you know, the foreseeable future. Interesting. Maybe you need to go back to the jungle. 
Yeah, that's possible. You're seven years <laughs> yeah, overdue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but I, 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 the smartphone was was really about like what 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 I saw. <laughs> oh, is that? It, well, not specifically, but basically like interconnection on a planetary scale. Oh, nice. Which right. done done. It's here. We already did it. What what comes up for me when I listen to the the SOG audio and think about a lot of this is is uh, I kind of laugh like it was uh, there's this certain grumpy old grandpa element uh, pissed off because he can't get legal weed to a certain extent <laughs> and it and and you know also just this post 9-11 us versus the brown people thing um, but what strikes me is it it was those were like simpler times <laughs> like compared yeah, to now. yeah it's true I, I've been reading uh, Wilhelm Reich's uh, The Mass Psychology of Fascism um, for semi-obvious reasons. And uh, what he says is that the only way to fight fascism is with uh, community support. Basically, mm. fascists will never, ever help you. They will only, uh, like, the only like the the promises that a fascist makes is to hurt someone just not you they'll never promise to do anything for you except for the hurt the people you don't like and mm. so if you can create community structures that provide resources that's the opposite of fascism like providing for your people is the opposite of fascism and there are a lot of opportunities for that in all of our uh, environments. And that I think that that's going to be maybe the uh, way for that I wanna go. If, if you can't trust, uh, you know, the big overarching uh, competing powers that be, then mutual aid is, you know, gonna be the only game in town. And that in some ways that is the proper anecdote to fascism is mutual aid and uh you know kind of com community uh support and it's not it, it, it's not uh you know utopian uh but it might be the best that we can do with what we got no i love that and and that's the thing of of, of changing this like the our hard wired individualism into something that is, like you say, both, you don't want to give up individualism to the point that, you know, uh, you're a drone society, but you also don't want to be individualist so much that you're elevating the self above the environment. So it's this, it, it, again, it's as always, it's back to the middle path where we yeah. find Mr. Wilson grabbing people from both sides and pulling them together. I like that metaphor of just the, the role, your role in the village. So you're an individual, but you're an individual in the context of a community. Right. And, and you don't let the community, you know, dictate everything about you, but you participate in its betterment in whatever yeah. way you can. And I think, I think like the, the idea is that like no one would fight against something that was providing them with value. And that if you can build Powerful something statement. that provides value 
in a unambiguous way, then you're going to have more people pushing with you than pushing against you, mm. um, except for the people that it displaces their power. They're going to push against you, and they do. But I think that it's going to be it'll be harder with the way that we are able to evaluate events now. And I think that there is cause for optimism, just that there's also going to be disappointments. Perfect. We should close with that. That sounds good to me. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Bobby Campbell for taking the time to chat and Richard Rossa for editing up this episode. Our next regular episode will release as planned on February 23rd. Until then, I am your host, Mike Gathers, signing off with love and cheerfulness. Amor e hilaritas.